Welcome to the Moose Room. Today, it's just Brad. Emily is out doing some uh, extension-related uh, activities. And Joe, I don't even know where he's at. He's uh, across the pond in Scotland or Ireland or something, having a great time while we're here in hot Midwestern uh, Minnesota. And But I have a guest today. We have a guest on the podcast uh, that we'll be talking about some activities today. Our guest is Bethany Dado-Sen from Wisconsin. So welcome, Bethany. Thanks so much for having me. So we're going to talk a little bit about heat stress and dairy calves. But first, we will ask our super secret questions to all of our guests like we do. Sorry, I do not have the tallies. Joe doesn't allow me to have those. But the first question will be, what is your favorite breed of beef cattle? Oh. Beef cattle. <laughs> I was, I, you threw me there. I figured you were going to ask about breed of dairy cattle, given your background. But uh, my favorite breed of beef cattle would be the Charlay because they just make the cutest little beef on dairy crosses. Charlay, we will accept that uh, answer. <laughs> yes, uh, we we haven't had many Charlay uh, responses, but so it's always nice to get a different response. There's uh, lots of choices. We have over the last few years we've been doing this. We have maybe thirty to forty different beef breeds that people have mentioned. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of beef breeds. So the second super secret question you probably have already picked out what is your favorite breed of dairy cattle oh there it is okay well if i have to guess the right answer <laughs> i think that'd be hard with all of the crossbreeding that you guys do i'm going to say for the sake of today's discussion heat stress and calves i would pick the jersey calf they're the less likely to be heat stressed yes that is the correct answer. <laughs> yes. Joe is jumping up. He probably can jump from Scotland back to the U.S. with that. So Joe and I will tell you that Jersey is the answer. Wow. Sweet. <laughs> yes. I grew up with jerseys and Joe loves jerseys. Sorry, Emily. We didn't say Holstein today. You will have to find your own guest that yeah. will say Holstein. That's just the obvious answer, right? That's too easy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But we, we we will take Holstein people too. We just <laughs> anyway, so so I want uh, Bethany to sort of introduce yourself. You know, I, I think so. Bethany currently works as a, a calf and heifer technical specialist with Vita Plus. Uh, Vita Plus is a nutrition company uh, based out of Madison, Wisconsin. Tell us a little bit about your background, Bethany. Where where you're from and how you sort of got to uh, uh, Vita Plus. Absolutely. It's definitely more of a meandering path than I thought it would be, but here we are. Um, so I grew up on a about 500 cow uh, dairy herd, Holstein, in um, northwestern Wisconsin, and that's where I currently reside again. Um, but I went to school at UW-Madison for my undergrad. And during that time, my undergrad advisor had a PhD student who had just started at Florida. And she's like, well, you could go down there and work for her when I was thinking about grad school. And I was like, oh, there's no cows in Florida. I'm not interested. But 
I went down and I toured and I kind of fell in love with um, some of the research that was going on down there. And as you can probably guess by now, it was a lot of the heat stress work in dry cows and calves. So I started a lot of that research down there. I'd say kind of the emphasis of my dissertation is looking at uh, mammary development and kind of general physiological responses of calves that are heat stressed either in utero or after birth in the pre-weaning period. So did a lot of that work in Florida. And then about halfway through the PhD, um, my advisor, Dr. Jimena Laporta, took a position back at UW-Madison. So returned back near the homeland and uh, finished up my PhD and started with Vital Plus just this last year. And my role now is kind of a combination of um, supporting our customers in their uh, management and nutrition needs, but also having great conversations like this and educating people about um, some of the science behind managing dairy calves in the most optimal way. Definitely, you will get heat stress conditions in Florida. Yes, I had a pretty easy time getting what I needed down there. <laughs> yes, Florida is a different uh, way of dairying. Definitely, if sometimes farms just don't breed cows during the summer in Florida, it's so hot and and miserable for the cows that they just stop breeding because nothing gets pregnant. So yeah, there's a lot of seasonality there, and honestly, a fair amount of shipping calves after birth. If they're born in the summer months, they'll send them to a calf ranch somewhere else just because it's just such a heat load for them. Yeah. 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 So if you want to study heat stress, definitely Florida is the place to be. Yes. <laughs> the reason why I asked Bethany to be on here today was I had uh, saw a post uh, she had on, on the internet or maybe it was Instagram that said, you know, there's a lot of talk about heat stress in dairy cows. And, you know, it's one of the things that we all think about, especially when we get into summer uh, with how to cool cows, you know, I've worked in California, cows are hot during the summertime, there's sprinklers, you name it, in the Midwest, we hit heat stress. But one thing that maybe gets forgotten about a little bit is heat stress in dairy calves. You know, we never really think about, man, those maybe those calves can be heat stressed as well. So why do you have an interest in heat stress in calves? I know you did your PhD work in it, but but you know, why why should we think about heat stress in calves? That's a great question. And I do think we have to be careful. I think a lot of the times we see a problem in the dairy space and we start shouting it from a rooftop that everybody has to be concerned about this immediately. Like it's the most important problem. You know, I think it would be false to say that we should prioritize cooling our calves before our cows. You know, that's, that's unfeasible for a lot of reasons. But like you said, I think sometimes we get so focused on the cows that we forget that calves are mammals too, and they have needs just like any other mammal on the farm. So um, just to take it a step back and talk about like what that mammal is. So any sort of mammal has what we call a thermoneutral zone. And this is just the zone in which uh, there is no energy needed to maintain a consistent core body temperature. So as you can imagine, and, and I know you see this a lot up north, Dr. Hines, of in, in the winter, um, they have a, a higher thermoneutral zone. So that means that they get colder a lot faster. Um, but consequently, in the summer, it takes them a little uh, longer to get heat stress. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. So when we think about that upper critical limit for calves, um, that can be anywhere between about 70 degrees Fahrenheit all the way up to 82 degrees Fahrenheit, depending on the climate, you know, talking about Florida versus Wisconsin, 
uh, depending on the size of the calf, what their nutrient program is, their other health concerns. So that's another reason I think that we often forget to discuss it is because it's kind of nuanced and complicated, but it does happen. And the great news is uh, research from my group, other groups at UW, Florida, across the country really have started looking at what happens when calves get heat stressed and what we can do about it. Is it more difficult to determine if a calf is heat stressed compared to a cow? You know, do we, if we go out to a, maybe a pen of calves or some hutches, is it, is it difficult to tell whether they're stressed or not? Or, or what might be some of those signs that we, we see visually in the calves that are, are heat stressed? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, one of the number one indicators we use with cows is um, the bulk tank report, you know, um, looking at either herd lactation levels or if you have milk meters, individual lactation levels. Of course, we're not going to have that with calves. The only productive measure we have with calves is growth. And one, oftentimes people aren't measuring growth on a consistent basis in their calves. And two, it honestly takes a pretty severe level of heat stress to see a growth difference. That being said, there's some initial markers of heat stress that we can use for calves. We call these like thermoregulatory responses. So the three most common are respiration rate, uh, skin temperature, and rectal temperature. The first two, respiration rate and skin temperature, are kind of um, quick indicators, and they're not going to necessarily reflect the actual core body temperature. Really, the only way we can do that is by taking a rectum temperature with a thermometer. But they're a really great initial indicator, especially if you want to minimally disturb your calves. So uh, when we're looking at respiration rates, um, based on a couple of research papers that we have both at the University of Florida and Wisconsin, um, here in the Midwest, you'd be targeting anywhere between about 40 to 60 breaths per minute as your benchmark for the initial signs of what we call thermal discomfort, which is kind of like a predisposition to heat stress about to happen. Easiest way to do this, just find a calf laying down and measure her flank movements just above her leg and just up and down. I usually do for either 15 seconds, multiply it by four, or 30 seconds, multiply it by two, and just use that as your uh, benchmark. And you usually say about probably 12 or so calves in your hutch lineup or in your group pen. That, that gives you kind of a good initial starting point. So that's relatively easy for for farmers or or any employee on the dairy to go and just watch a few calves to see if they are heat stressed. So I, I think that's a an excellent point is just to watch some calves and their breathing and you'll be able to tell whether they're heat stressed. Obviously some you can tell are really heat stressed if they're you know breathing really hard. That's probably a pretty good indicator that they are stressed. But sometimes it's kind of like, well, are they or aren't they uh, stressed? And and, and it's, it's interesting you bring that up because um, uh, many of you are probably familiar with Dr. Jennifer Van Oss. Um, she does a, real, a lot of really great work on the cow side and calf. Um, but when we talk about monitoring heat stress in cows, um, she says that if we get to the panting level, it's too late. Like we could have intervened a lot earlier. And I would say the exact same for calves, right? If sure. they're physically panting, um, we know that we could have taken steps, a few steps back in order to prevent that from happening. So uh, panting, it, in case you want a benchmark for that, is usually about 120 breaths per minute. Or if you see an open mouth or any sort of salivation, um, that I would be saying like, man, I wonder what we could have been doing a couple of days ago. 
Well, that's good to know because I've seen that in some of our calves before is that they're panting or, or you can really tell they're breathing. So it, it, it's good to know that it's probably too late. Uh, and we should have been looking at this a few days before. And I think that's one thing that we always, you know, when we're on farm, we're, everything is so busy. There's so many things going on and we kind of forget about looking at some of those aspects, but like you said, do this on a few calves and, and just to see uh, as, as a benchmark to see where they're at um, and, and see what's happening. A couple of tidbits I heard in there too, that I think um, one, nobody's perfect when it comes to all of this and there shouldn't be any sort of like shame associated with, Oh, my calves are really hot. You know, the good news is we can do something about it at any stage of the game. Um, second, um, that's a great place to be bringing in um, an expert on your team. If you work with a, calf consultant or even your nutritionist or veterinarian, you know, just ask them like, Hey, the next time you walk calves, could you just count some respirations rates for me quick? Or, or really, if you want a really in-depth assessment, um, grab your rectal temperature and, and see where that's at. Is respiration the first go-to? And then if we see some signs of increased respiration, then do we go to rectal temperatures and check that out? I think it depends on the time availability you have and how in-depth of an assessment you want to make. Obviously, like I said before, kind of your gold standard for if heat stress is actually occurring would be to go and look at what's happening in the core of the calf. A couple of issues we run into, I just got this question the other day and it was such a good one of, you know, how do we distinguish a fever and like a respiratory incidence from heat stress? And, and it can be a challenge um, because they have a lot of the same symptoms. Uh, and quite honestly, they can happen concurrently. Um, there is an increase in respiratory incidence in the summer months. So a couple of things I would be looking for there is looking for additional signs on top of heat stress signs, if you think there might be respiratory. So, you know, uh, droopy ears, uh, coughing, droopy eyes, tilted, tilted head um, to, to kind of investigate more down the respiratory route. Um, so that's why I sometimes get a little hesitant to suggest um, taking rectal temperatures because sometimes that can just lead to unnecessary antibiotic treatments if it is solely heat stress. So uh, benchmarks for that, I'd say anything over 104 is pretty severe heat stress. Uh, starting at about 102.3 Fahrenheit is when some vets and some scientists would say heat stress is starting to be something to think about. That's interesting. You know, I've had that debate with my students before about, you know, rectal temperatures are good. I think they can help try and figure some things out. But sometimes it was like, we're seeing high rectal temperatures in calves during the summer. And it's like, well, okay, is it just hot? And is it heat stressed? Or is there some sort of disease going on, whether it's respiratory or, you know, something else going on? So it was like, you know, I've seen calves here at our research center that we've been working with over the summertime have rectal temperatures at 104. And it's like, okay, is what what's going on? Is this is this calf sick? And some people might go, oh, well, it's sick. It's got, you know, it coughed a little bit. And the other aspect you have to look at, okay, you know, maybe it's 100 degrees out on a hot day. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, maybe it is stressed. So you go on farm. What are things that you uh, bring with and, and how do you measure, you know, temperature and, and calf respiration rate on farms? What, what that might look like? So it's actually pretty simple. Um, the two things I look at, I mentioned the one is respiration rate. The other is environmental temperature. 
So you can simply use your weather app to kind of get a broad idea. Otherwise, there's a lot of really great temperature monitoring um, tools out there now. Uh, Kestrel temperature drops are one that I'm seeing a lot of people use. Uh, the Van Oss Lab has a great resource on kind of the um, protocols for that. Basically, you just turn it on and it continuously monitors temperature mm -hmm. for however long you want. I am often going to be putting one inside of whatever sort of cat housing there is, especially if it's a hutch, since those can start to be like little mini ovens in the summer. And then one on the outside. I think that does a really great job of kind of showing that what we are experiencing outside the hut and what we're seeing on our uh, thermometer for our external weather might not be what the calf is getting when they're inside the hut. Um, and then the last thing that I'm looking at is airspeed. Uh, ventilation, as we know, is incredibly important for calves. A lot of the times when we discuss ventilation, though, it's from an air quality perspective. And I think we have a lot of room to improve on maximizing ventilation for heat abatement purposes. Um, so I'm bringing an anemometer, which is basically an airspeed measure on farm to determine uh, the average airspeed at the calf level in different housing situations. Um, research there, we're still trying to determine what kind of targets we're looking for in the summer, but we look passive ventilation. So if you just open like your hutch door or if you have a naturally ventilated barn, that's usually about 0.33 miles per hour. And this seems to be adequate in a lot of situations. Uh, whereas active ventilation from fans is usually anywhere between like 1.7 to 2.2 lots and meters per second. I think it's up to three or so miles per hour. So we have some some work there to determine what what is necessary for calves, especially in different environments. Yeah, you'd mentioned calf hutches or or single based uh, uh, systems. I think there's always the misconception out there that if it's it's hot out in the summer here, say in the Midwest, but the calves are in individual hutches. Well, they must not be stressed because they can go inside and, and be, you know, in a hutch. Yes, maybe it helps a little bit or is, you know, are the hutches, you know, is that an oven as well in creating more heat stress for that calf? I really challenge people to think about why hutches were invented and why we like them so much. We like hutches so much because they do a great job in the winter of keeping calves warm. So what does that mean in the summer? They're going to keep calves warm. warm. <laughs> um, they're, they're just a really small space, right? And um, that the plastic material, um, especially the white, it does help, but it's still a really enclosed space. So I've seen anywhere between like uh, just like a maybe one to two degrees Celsius increase up to like a 13 degrees Celsius increase inside these wow. hutches. Wow. Um, which convert to Fahrenheit on your own because I'm not very good at that, but <laughs> it, it can be a lot warmer in there. Yes. Um, and I, another misconception, I think, is that the hutch provides shade, which it, te it technically does. It has that protection from solar radiation, but just that increase in the microclimate, I think, outweighs any benefit there. So we talk a lot about providing shade structures either, either over the hutch itself or over the wire paneling in front. Uh, you see a lot in Florida, like just open wire paneling and then shade structures over the top of that to kind of prevent some of that oven capacity. What about water? If they're stressed, will they be trying to consume more water in a in a hutch system or or will they not be doing that as well? I would say from a science perspective, we actually don't know if they do, but I would say mm. anecdotally, and I'm pretty sure any any farmer would say anecdotally that yes, you know, water is incredibly important at any stage of life in any season, but especially in the summer as we talk about um, both um, respiration 
and sweating, basically they work to cool the body by moving moisture to the skin surface. So that means there's no less moisture available for the calf to do her general physiological functions, right? So water is very important. We want to drink water in the summer, so do our calves. So if we're not providing that, especially if there's uh, additional scours events going on, we're just really setting calves up for a rough time. I do say, actually, you can still provide warm water in the summer. Um, calves seem to just really like that um, warmth for that initial interest. Um, but I'm usually, after that first bucket of warm water, maybe two, then I'm topping off with cold and leaving cold for the rest of the day. Sure, sure. As we're coming into heat stress season here in the Midwest, you know, we've had some hot days already. It's been almost 100 degrees Fahrenheit here, at least in western Minnesota. I'm sure in, in other parts of Minnesota and Wisconsin it has been. What are some things that, that we should do to try and reduce uh, heat stress of calves? And what can we do for abatement strategies if farmers and, and people are looking for ways to reduce stress in their calves? Yep. I, I think the first thing, as we talked about, is just kind of assess your current situation. See what your hut structures looks like, what your what your barn is like. Are the curtains open? Are your fans working? Um, the next would be to maximize ventilation in different avenues. Um, and the extent to which you do that, I would say, depends on what your calves tell you, what those respiration rates tell you. Um, there is a nice paper by Moore in 2012 that um, looked at the science behind uh, propping up hutches um, to get some additional ventilation and that improved both air speeds, but also air uh, gas levels. So that's great. You know, win-win on both of those. Uh, a few other things you can do is simply just open those hutch doors that come with your calf hutch. Make sure that the rear is open. You can open the side green door. In a barn setting, there's a lot of different new ventilation tubes on the market that have summer and winter settings. That's something to look at. Adding a couple of basket fans or even low speed, high volume fans up top, like ceiling fan type things, another great option. Um, but I do think there's a lot of um, different avenues to explore on a variety of, of budgets that you might have for your heat abatement strategy. Uh, shade would be the last one, uh, especially if you have pastured animals. Doing some sort of shade cloth structure is very economical. Um, just make sure that you're providing enough uh, square footage to to allow every heifer, every calf to have the opportunity to enjoy it. Yeah, shade is important, especially for us here at our, our research center where we we, we have had calves raised on cows in the past and and have had them on pasture and they're stressed and you will find them in the shade, whether it's trees or underneath some sort of structure. So yes, as I'm driving through the countryside, I that's always my key indicator if it's hot outside. If I see, especially, you know, just your smaller like beef operations, all those black cows are under the mm -hmm. shade trees on the side of the pen. Right. Um, so that's certainly it's an option. Um, if that is what's available to you. Uh, I think your group is doing something really interesting too with using the solar panels as shade. Um, I think we often talk about like that solar panel area as being dead area, but it certainly is not, can have a lot of benefit. Just trying to reduce heat stress in all animals is important because you, you see reduced milk production, obviously in dairy cows is, is really easy to see, but some of those indicators in calves are not as easy to see. Uh, at least the long-term effects of that. Exactly. And, and I would say on that note, you know, that's often a question we get about like, okay, well, if this happens in my young calves, what does it mean long-term? 
Um, I'm sure many of you have heard the discussion around in utero heat stress and its multi-generational impact on lactation performance. That just comes down to some of the uh, in utero programming of the mammary gland and metabolic structure and things like that. But we do think that there could be some consequences on this postnatal pre-weaning heat stress on future performance, especially if it continues up until like the post-weaning breeding age. Right which of course happens more in Florida than it does here. Our, our heat stress window is a little shorter, but right, right. Um, we are starting to think, um, and and my advised, former advisor now, Jimena Laporta, she'll be looking at some of that with different feeding planes and long-term success of, of these heat stress calves. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating stuff uh, into the future and seeing how, you know, does even the, when the calf is being uh, in your utero and the, and the cow is heat stressed, how does that affect the calf and its growth and, you know, subsequent production in the future. So, you know, that's one thing that we, we definitely don't think about is when we're, you know, we have this pregnant cow or heifer, we don't ever think we just want to get that calf out and have a, you know, a, a live calf. And we don't necessarily think uh, two, three years down the road, what the heat stress happening now can affect that calf uh, in future life. So that's, that's fascinating. I think, yeah, we're on the cusp of trying to yeah figure that out, and I'm I'm glad to hear uh, your your advisor is is working on that stuff because it's certainly needed. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know there's just always more to come on that in terms of um, can we rescue that phenotype once it's been perturbed? Um, how much cooling is needed for our dry cows? I think that's going to depend on region. Does it need to be the whole dry period? Short answer is yes. You know, so there's a lot of like mini questions with that, that if anybody ever wants to kind of dive into that aspect, um, either Dr. Jeff Dahl, Dr. Jimena Laporta or myself, feel free to reach out to us. I think we can kind of help you discern what might be the best path for your dry cows. Those are actually a lot of the notes that I had. Any other additional points you want to make? I guess the last thing I would say is from, you know, kind of a general management perspective. Um, I often get questions about how how other aspects of management need to change in the summer. I'd say you can keep things pretty status quo as long as you're continuing to offer fresh, warm, and then cool water. Milk replacers or whole milks can stay at the same plane of nutrition as far as we know for now. Uh, like I said, there should be research coming on that, I hope. Um, and then uh, I would say the only thing that I would maybe keep an eye on or change is really being aggressive with your scours protocols and electrolyte feeding. You know, um, it's going to provide a double benefit in the summer of getting calves through scours and also providing um, the electrolytes lost during uh, sweating and heat stress. So blanket electrolytes are something that a lot of Florida herds offer in the summer. Um, and I really encourage it up here in the Midwest too. I've never heard of that. That's uh, something uh, I learned today that uh, they would provide that uh, electrolytes uh, during periods of heat stress is the idea is just to keep them hydrated yep yeah and, and to encourage water intake right like a sweet tasting water is maybe a little more interesting to to consume so a couple things I'll say on that is um, when we think about electrolytes there are sodium acetate sodium citrate and sodium bicarbonate based electrolytes so sodium bicarb is one that I would use for blanket. It's usually going to be cheaper. Um, it's not going to disrupt the blood acid balance as much. So you can do it longer for all calves. 
your sodium acetates and your sodium citrates are ones that are a little more heavy hitting. So of course that comes with a price tag and I would be saving that for my, I have a scours calf or I have a calf who's just not looking great. Feed your calves water, keep them on the same plane in nutrition and maybe provide some extra benefits through electrolytes if they're in some heat stress situations and you should have happy, healthy calves, right? Yep. You should get calves through just fine. And like I said at the beginning, you know, like let's not make mountains out of molehills. This is something we can certainly work through, um, but it is definitely something to keep in mind as we hit really high temperatures this summer. If anybody ever has any questions, you can feel free to reach out to me at bdatosen at vitaplus.com. I also really enjoy posting on LinkedIn and I'm at lactation sensation on Instagram. So <laughs> lots of different ways you can learn about mammary physiology and heat stress. Yeah, definitely uh, give Bethany a, a follow on Instagram or LinkedIn. Uh, that's where I learned about uh, your ideas on heat stress of calves. So I'm uh, yeah, glad that you were able to, to join us today and give us a little insight on that. Thanks for letting me share about my passions. Okay, if uh, you have any further questions, comments, or uh, scathing rebuttals, uh, you can contact Joe Armstrong and Emily Kreckleberg. Do not contact Brad. You can contact them at themooseroom at umn.edu. And you can find us on Twitter at umnmooseroom. Thank you for joining us. Raise great calves this summer. Mm-hmm.